This is Yahoo Finance Presents. I'm Akiko Fujita, and today I'm joined by Arizona Senator Mark Kelly. Senator, it's great to talk to you today. Great to talk to you, Akiko. Let's start with where things stand, because we are speaking one year on into the Biden administration. When you think about where the economy is, certainly a very strong recovery in the labor market. We're at near full employment, 6.4 million jobs created. And yet the headline that is dominating all this is inflation at near uh, 40 year highs. How much of this do you think is the doing of the president's policies? How much of this is a function of what we've seen, the easy money coming from the Fed. Well, let, let, let me start by saying uh, in Arizona, yeah, I mean, we're at full employment right now, so not even close, we're actually there. Uh, but prices have gone up for gasoline, uh, ground beef, uh, milk, eggs, nearly everything. I mean, these rising costs are really hurting Arizona families and families across the country. Uh, But it's not just here in the United States. I mean, we've seen European countries, um, you know, experience similar uh, issues when supply chains get disrupted, you know, like they have over the last couple of years. I mean, that is uh, contributes to shortages. And as we know, uh, that's going to result in rising prices. You've pressed the administration specifically um, to take steps to lower the cost of food. And you've spoken specifically about what you've described as corporate price gouging that's happening. Is that what you think is happening here? Uh, for some uh, some issues, yeah, absolutely. Uh, just this week, uh, the Secretary of Agriculture, Secretary Vilsack came out to Arizona a couple of days ago. I was with him meeting with some ranchers. Um, in Glendale, Arizona, but the ranchers came from all over the state. Uh, ranchers are getting the same amount for their for their beef that they did, you know, before the pandemic. Uh, but the prices have gone up. Uh, so what is causing that? They're not they're not getting more for their product. Though consumers are now paying in Arizona anyway about five dollars a pound for ground beef. So something is happening in the in the in in where the uh, the, the product goes from the ranch to the market. Um, so I have the administration looking into this. I mean, is, is it the processors? Uh, what is causing uh, prices to, to go up? And, you know, food is becoming it's really challenging for many Arizona families to buy groceries right now. And it has to be dealt with. What are you hearing from those um, constituents, the ranchers that you just alluded to? How much have they seen costs go up and what's the reality for their businesses? Yeah, I mean, the, the price of uh, corn and alfalfa, the price of diesel fuel. Uh, so their expenses have gone up, but their revenue is flat. Um, they should be, you know, benefiting, you know, from some of the price increases. I mean, we don't want the prices to go up. We want uh, Arizona families and families across the country to be able to afford groceries. It's, this has been really challenging. Uh, but there's something specific to this, and I think this is going on in other industries where you have big corporations um, that are taking certain steps uh, to increase their profits uh, on the backs of the American people. So let's talk about the steps that you have proposed to, to try and bring things down. You talked about bringing down uh, the cost of food, but also addressing the snags that we're seeing in the supply chain, specifically in the labor shortage in the trucking industry. Um, You've called for the need to expand the pool of prospective drivers, but how do you actually do that? This is something that we saw even before the pandemic 
And some would argue there's a bit of a generational shift that's happening. Not enough people wanting to get into this industry anymore. Yeah, it's true. It's uh, I mean, these are good paying jobs, um, but they also require that you you know, leave your family for, in some cases, you know, good periods of time. It's, it's, it's challenging work. Um, and right now, I mean, we've got a shortage of employee, employees across the country. You know, the workforce, we had over, uh, I think about 1.5 million additional Americans retire than expected during the pandemic. That's a lot of people that uh, just disappeared out of our workforce. Um, you know, there's, there, there are certainly some things you can do. Uh, you can provide training opportunities that are more readily available uh, to young people. You can reduce the age for folks to get jobs where they're driving on interstate highways from state to state. Uh, right now, that age is uh, 21. Um, we could, and we are looking into reducing that to 18. You got to make sure you have the right people. You got to make sure you train them well, um, and they're going to, you know, do the job in a responsible way. But there are steps we can take to alleviate that supply chain issue. Uh, we also have supply chain issues that are showing up at our ports of entry, uh, whether they're the ports of, you know, the, the land ports of entry like we have in Arizona on the Arizona-Mexico border or the ports of entry uh, along the coast like, you know, California with, uh, you know, shipping, you know, mm -hmm. backed up, uh, called on the administration to take some steps there. They are, they're, they're building or opening some temporary locations for ships to come in and unload their cargo. On the land port of entry issue uh, in the bipartisan infrastructure bill, which I was one of the, one of the um, folks that negotiated and worked across the aisle to get this done, we've got significant funding to upgrade those ports of entry. That'll help us bring more products, uh, not only from Mexico, but to Mexico uh, in a much more efficient way. So that's gonna alleviate um, in the long term, alleviate some supply chain issues that we've been facing. Let's talk about another key issue that you have been focused on, and this is the trading or stock trading of lawmakers. You recently introduced a bill with Senator John Ossoff uh, to ban stock trading uh, for lawmakers as well as their spouses and call for all lawmakers to, to place their stock portfolios in a blind trust. This is an issue that we've seen pop up from time to time. There's a competing bill uh, from uh, Josh Hawley, too. Why, why is your particular approach the right one at a time when there's growing questions about whether, in fact, lawmakers are trading, which presents a conflict of interest based on information they have? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we, we are we have we I mean, we see a lot of information that the general public does not have access to. Uh, and it's, it's not right for uh, individuals to be elected to Congress and then be able to trade on that information, information that the American people don't have. Uh, that's why as soon as I was elected, I started, before I was sworn in, I took steps to put my assets in a qualified blind trust to make sure I don't, I mean, not only can I not make trades, I don't even know what's in there. Uh, the same thing is true for Senator, Senator Ossoff. Hey, I think anytime we can be, uh, you know, more, first of all, more transparent with the American people as to the steps we're taking um, and getting the corporate money out of our political system and make, making sure that members of Congress can't trade on this information, um, it, it makes Congress work better for all of us. 
I'm one of only, I'm actually the only person, I'm the only person in the United States Congress out of 535 people that does not take corporate PAC money, has a qualified buying trust and has a public schedule. So my constituents know what I'm doing here every day when I'm in Washington, D.C. What do you say to those who say this still doesn't go far enough, that there should be criminal penalties, for example? I mean, the disclosure list, the disclosure rule exists. Um, we've learned from recent reports that not, lawmakers don't necessarily follow that, too. Is there a compromise between all of the competing bills um, that is a way to get other lawmakers on board? Well, if our legislation becomes law, um, members of Congress are not going to have opportunities to trade on the information because they're not going to have control over any stock por portfolio that they have. Um, so, you know, the penalties in our case, you know, for folks that don't do this or wind up through another mechanism of being able to trade on the information, the, yeah, they, there are fines associated with this. But if every member of Congress put um, their securities into a qualified blind trust, we would not have this problem. Uh, and then Congress could really get down to focusing on what's in the best interest of the American people and not what is it in the best interest of, of members of Congress personally. That's where the problems arise. Reducing uh, the U.S. reliance on Chinese supply, certainly a big focus of this administration. You recently introduced a bipartisan bill uh, that essentially bans uh, imports of rare earths, the use of rare earths among defense contractors. Um, that's certainly in line with what we've heard from the president, but, but how do you do that when the alternative doesn't currently exist in the U.S. In, on, on the scale that it needs to? Well, I think this is a first step and it's got a timeline in there by 2026, right? So defense contractors, folks that are building the most sophisticated weapon systems, you know, fighter airplanes, you know, ships, missile systems uh, won't be able to use Chinese rare earth minerals in the technology that they build and sometimes sell overseas. Um, so we've, we've got to stop relying on Chinese rare earths in our defense industry. Uh, it's a national security risk to us. Uh, if, if China was decide to, to cut us off uh, on those rare earth minerals, you know, right now, this would have a serious impact on our national defense. So this, this requires that DOD and the Department of Interior, you know, work together to build a stockpile of rare earth minerals, and we can do this, um, and we have some time to do it, and then require that defense contractors just use rare earth minerals that they can obtain uh, from U.S. suppliers. Why specifically focus on rare earths? I mean, there, there are so many supplies, so many materials that come from China. Why has this been a specific focus for you? Well, this is one right now where, um, you know, the supply is in China and we do not have a significant enough supply here in the United States today. Uh, and this legislation will fix that. We'll look for other sources uh, and we can build this strategic reserve of rare earth minerals over time if we focus on it and if we choose to do it. And this, this sets the parameters to put the United States in a position that we have to choose to do this. We build this stockpile, defense contractors will have access to it and we will build the supply chain of rare earths that we need because we don't wanna to continue to be in the situation where 
um, our adversary, uh, you know, could cut us off from, from things that we need for our national defense. Certainly, we, we've seen a lot of U.S. businesses who are operating in China in the cost crosshairs recently, um, especially with uh, this new law that was passed, the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. You had companies like Intel who had to go out and apologize in China, uh, saying, you know, after they put out a statement saying they're no longer going to be sourcing materials from the region because of the law. Uh, you know, I wonder how you're looking at that dynamic, because we're taking this on specific issues, yet some would argue if these U.S. businesses continue to do business in China um, on the scale that they have been doing, that is only fueling the economy there by way and also fueling or supporting the government. I mean, how do you think U.S. businesses should be navigating this tricky um, geopolitical environment? Well, I, th I think we we should be you know paying attention to our own you know personal uh, norms as a nation, and um, you know the Chinese currently, as you outlined, you know used uh, they use a significant amount of forced labor. Um, the Uyghurs being one example of that, um, and you know I would encourage you know U.S. companies. You know, to take a look at that and look for alternate sources. Um, you, you know, manufacturing, we make some of the best stuff in the world, right? When you're looking at sophisticated manufacturing, uh, the United, there's no country that's better at it than the United States. We're also very innovative. Um, and, and, you know, we have opportunities here uh, to build manufacturing uh, in the United States, good paying jobs for the American people. And at the same time, um, you know, we can live up to, you know, our own personal expectations of supporting human rights uh, around the planet. And what the Chinese do with forced labor, it, it's just not right. Senator Mark Kelly, it's good to talk to you today. Really appreciate the time. Great speaking with you, Akiko. Thank you.